0: This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we complete our three-part series and a close reading of Principles of Communism by Frederick Engels. 18. What will be the course of this revolution? Above all, it will establish a democratic constitution, and through this, the direct or indirect dominance of the proletariat. Direct in England, where the proletarians are already a majority of the people. Indirect in France and Germany, where the majority of the people consists not only of proletarians, but also of small peasants and petty bourgeois who are in the process of falling into the proletariat who are more and more dependent in all their political interests on the proletariat and who must, therefore, soon adapt to the demands of the proletariat. Perhaps this will cost a second struggle, but the outcome can only be the victory of the proletariat. Democracy would be wholly valueless to the proletariat if it were not immediately used as a means of putting through measures directed against private property and ensuring the livelihood of the proletariat. The main measures emerging as the necessary result of existing relations are the following. 1. Limitation of private property through progressive taxation, heavy inheritance taxes, abolition of inheritance through collateral lines, brothers, nephews, etc., forced loans, etc. 2. Gradual expropriation of landowners, industrialists, railroad magnates, and ship owners, partly through competition by state industry, partly directly through compensation in the form of bonds. 3 confiscation of the possessions of all immigrants and rebels against the majority of the people four organization of labor or employment of proletarians on publicly owned land in factories and workshops with competition among the workers being abolished and with the factory owners insofar as they still exist being obliged to pay the same high wages as those paid by the state five an equal equal obligation on all members of society to work until such time as private property has been completely abolished. Formation of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. Six, centralization of money and credit in the hands of the state through a national bank with state capital and the suppression of all private banks and bankers. Seven, increase in the the number of national factories, workshops, railroads, ships, bringing new lands into cultivation and improvement of land already under cultivation, all in proportion to the growth of the capital, and labor force at the disposal of the nation. Eight, education of all children from the moment they can leave their mother's care in national establishments at national cost, education and production together. Nine, construction on public lands of great palaces as communal dwellings for associated groups of citizens engaged in both industry and agriculture and combining in their way of life, the advantages of urban and rural conditions while avoiding the one sidedness and drawbacks of each. 10. Destruction of all unhealthy and jerry-built dwellings in urban districts. 11. Equal inheritance rights for children born in and out of wedlock. 12. Concentration of all means of transportation in the hands of the nation. It is impossible, of course, to carry out all these measures at once. But one will always bring others in its wake. Once the radical attack on private property has been launched, the proletariat will find itself forced to go ever further, to concentrate increasingly in the hands of the state all capital, all agriculture, all transport, all trade. All the foregoing measures are directed to this end, and they will become practicable and feasible, capable of producing their centralizing effects to precisely the degree that the proletariat, through its labor, multiplies the country's productive forces. Finally, when all capital, all production, all exchange, have been brought together in the hands of the nation, private property will disappear of its own accord, money will become superfluous, and production will so expand and man so change that society will be able to slow off whatever its old economic habits may remain. I would you know first of all, I, uh, the first thing that did make me think you know about the current debates about like taxation levels that uh, sort of AOC is kind of stoked you know uh, it, it is I, I just wish. That some of this other shit was on the table as well, you know, like nationalize all the banks, you know, uh, expropriation of landowners, industrialists, railroad magnates, and ship owners.
1: I, I uh, feel like you would have to do the nationalization first, like just immediate seizure of like major industries in order to avoid capital flight almost immediately. Like, that would have to be the first thing that you do, and you have to, like, specifically, like, find the capitalists themselves and, like, hold them hostage, essentially. You know, Saudi style.
0: <laughs> well, well you know, I mean, it, I, I will say, I will say, politically, I could see, you know, if we, let's say we had had, like, somehow gotten, like, our, our Leninist hard ass elected president. Just stay with me on this. Like, I could see, actually, like, after, like, a major banking crisis like that, nationalizing the banks as being something that you might actually get some traction, you know? Like, like fuck all the... Like even, even, like, Republicans were saying, like, flooding out... You know, in Japan, like, when people fuck up like this, they commit suicide. You know? Like, there was a lot of... There was a lot of hatred of bankers.
2: I don't know. The thing that stands out to me the most is actually not the, uh, sort of revised, um, sort of minimum program here, but the... It's the Paragraph prior. It's the uh the concept of direct or indirect dominance of the proletariat through a democratic constitution yeah. being the goal. Um now this in some ways you could see is linked to Marx and Engels having a kind of, you know, sunny view of like the bourgeois constitution as actually kind of forming the democratic Republic in an important way. But I think even if you kind of have that, you know, post like, you know, Lenin and, you know, afterwards sort of sense of now you got to smash the state, like, and uh, like the Marx, like the later Marx commune Marx kind of sense of smashing the state being applied to like the bourgeois state. Like you could still maintain this point of view that's a real democratic Republic would not be kind of bourgeois constitution that we have. And because angles sees all of this stuff as being part of the democratic Republic that he wants to
0: see. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's interesting too. He basically says direct dominance in England, but indirect in France and Germany. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And indirect in Russia. He, he could add.
0: Yeah. If it was on his, if it was on his radar, What's interesting is, yeah, basically the idea that the proletariat would still have to be a, like probably essentially a minority party until it encompassed more of the overall population. Right. Um, but it could, but in an instance where it was in the majority, like ju- you might as well just go ahead and have sort of direct proletarian domination and mm-hmm. not have to not have to concede as much to uh, coexisting classes.
2: It's just a function of democracy, as far as they were concerned. Right. You know, the more capitalism goes, the more proles you get, and then you just do democracy. I mean, it's a simple picture, but I think it's fair that that at this stage, that's kind of what they thought.
0: Mm Mm-hmm and i and i could i could definitely see that at this point in history you know because they, mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't create like an abstract principle out of this they basically just said in these particular countries which would be kind of the only places these sorts of revolutions would presumably take place mm-hmm. uh, in their purview that's how it ought to go
1: yeah it it sounds really similar to what they outlined in the communist manifesto in terms of what they want uh mm-hmm. with their demands like specifically the nationalization of major industries, the abolition of town and country.
2: Yeah, as you may be aware, this is basically a draft of the Communist Manifesto. So Marx, I guess, hammered these down into ten planks instead. Um, I thought it was interesting how much uh, inheritance and like, you know, played into it. And uh, children, what a concern that this has with like, what would, you know... And Rose is right to point out that there is you know, language added like abolition of town and country. Uh, some of the family stuff is organized into abolition of the family under Marx. Marx is like a revision.
1: What's weird is like in the critique of the Gotha program, Marx essentially argues against like state, state education like public schools. He essentially argues against that and in here, and then in the Communist Manifesto, like, they're arguing for it. So, I, it's kind of weird. Well,
0: the thorough line is the sentence, education and production together. Because that's, if I remember Gotha Critique correctly, like, that's kind of what Mark's objection was, was that, like, he basically says in there, like, children should be allowed to work in the sense that they should be a part of, you know, the productive labor of society. And so, I guess... I'm not sure what this means exactly. It almost sounds like uh, like trade school or some shit like that. But yeah, like right. basically, like, like production and education would not be completely separated realms, it sounds like. Right. And so the kind of
2: ownership that you get in production, which is this, like, I don't know, it's, it's some kind of independent working class power that is non-market, non-state, um, would be the hope. And I mean what the fuck does that really mean? You know, I don't know.
0: Well, it's they're basically aiming at the disillusion of the division between manual and intellectual labor. So, right. everybody, basically every every cook could govern every 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 citizen worker would be basically well-rounded they'd be working but they would also have access to the sort of finer products of human culture and science and so on and so forth whereas you wouldn't have like you know you you go to university and the university is sort of the rarefied area where the intelligent Mm -hmm. people you know gather to focus on abstractions you know it would all the like people could focus on on abstractions like you know all the time (laughs) and except you know when they were contributing to the necessary productive uh totality of society yeah you really
2: you really do see how people suffer from this like like people that work all the time and don't really get a chance to just chill and like think about stuff or like people that are just they just think about shit all day and they just can't keep their shoes tied they don't have any like way to like train to get better you know they don't have anyone like kind of, like, that can help them with this as, like, a service, you know what I mean? And I, I just know a bunch of people that this would help on, like, both sides of this intellectual manual labor division. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, it's it's kind of an idyllic thing. Same with the abolition of town and country. There's some really, like... It sounds wonderful. Like, you can enjoy, like, all the conveniences and, like, dope shit that you get in the city, like, and being around enough people. Not being around like too many people, so that everybody's a replaceable part, um, and it sounds great.
0: I yeah, I mean, it looks it looks in my head like a fucking Chinese propaganda poster. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing like Starfleet in the, in the ba- Well, yeah, that, that I guess that too. Um, yeah. Here's There's one. There's like a uh,
2: thousand people on
0: the Enterprise. That's fine. Five is interesting too. An equal obligation of all members of society to work until such time as private property has been completely abolished. And again, what's so important about this is, you know, that's, it's not like reifying work for work's sake, it's glorifying work for work's sake. It's this idea that when private property is abolished, the amount of necessary labor time will be necessarily reduced due to, you know, increased efficiency and the end of like market competitions and shit like that. So there would be, you know, it's not just going to be like this perpetual regime of of work. You know, it, even like even Paul Cockshot admits like the lack of progressive character, of the Soviet Union, because they never like reduced labor time when they had the opportunity to do so. You know, they didn't reduce working hours. He
2: says no idea why. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I don't trying- understand.
2: They did everything right.
0: <laughs> I'm, t- I'm trying. I'm trying to get him and climbing on here. And we can all trick right, them right. to coming on here and they can hash their beef out and it'll it'll be it'll be like it'll be fire communist podcast content.
1: Oh my god. Wait, gotta make it a view Wait, did you say Paul and Kleiman? I, I couldn't.
0: Yeah, Paul Co- uh, Paul Cockshot has started beef with Andrew Kleiman.
1: I, I know uh, yeah. Oh, I saw the well I Over didn't the- watch the videos fully because like
0: I didn't watch the video either. I just love that this is happening. Yeah.
2: Well, y- 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 you know why it's happening, is because uh, Dave Zachariah was in- was happy that the Emancipation from Alpha to Omega uh, series on the TSSI was happening, because, like, you know, it's about some weird, obscure value debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he was like, you know, kind of ground his gears that, it, you know, he thought that it was putting forward like an illegitimate perspective. And so he collaborated with uh, Alan Cottrell and uh, Paul Cockshot to make those videos. So... I feel partially responsible, Tom O'Brien, as well. Good work. I uh, I feel like you know I feel like I'm instigating rap beefs. This is uh this yeah you're new. the
0: you are you are the Source magazine yeah. for obscure value debates in the 21st century.
2: You goddamn right.
0: You, just you're gonna get somebody killed. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, ah, um, fuck.
2: <laughs> don't, don't don't kill my buzz. I'm not the sugar. Of this shit. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: at the, at the very least, someone's throwing a fork. All right, let's move on to 19. <laughs> you, I, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> 19. Will it be possible for this revolution to take place in one country alone? It, this is, uh, by the way, I'm going to just interrupt really quick. He does actually mention, like, uh, you know, all exchanges have been brought together in the hands of the nation. So I think this is an interesting follow-up. Okay. Will it be possible for this revolution to take place in one country alone? No, by creating the world market, big industry has already brought all the peoples of the earth, and especially the civilized people, into such close relation with one another that none is independent of what happens to the others. Further, it has coordinated the social development of all the civilized countries to such an extent that, in all of them, bourgeoisie and proletariat have become the decisive classes, and the struggle between them the great struggle of the day. It follows that the communist revolution will not merely be a national phenomenon, but will take place simultaneously in all civilized countries. That is to say, at least in England, America, France, and Germany. It will develop in each of these countries more or less rapidly, according as one country or the other has a more developed industry, greater wealth, a more significant mass of productive forces. Hence, it will go slowest and will meet most obstacles in Germany, most rapidly and with the fewest difficulties in England. It will have a powerful impact on the other countries of the world and will radically alter the course of development, which they have followed up to now, while greatly stepping up its pace. It is a universal revolution and will, accordingly, have a universal range. Huh.
2: Well, there's just a lot packed in here. This it's it's It's
0: super, op- it's super optimistic. <laughs> but well, you know there's what,
2: three though? things that really call out to me here. It's optimistic, zero-centric, and it gets things almost exactly backwards because of how it is. Like, mm. for instance, like, um, it will go slowest to meet the most obstacles in Germany, most rapidly with the fewest difficulties in England. I mean, yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know what to say about that. I suppose, yeah, I guess Nazis are a pretty big os- obstacle. But... um there's basically no real communist movement in England because of the way the Labour Party worked. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. There's there's things that he might not have been able to predict. Surprise, he's not, a, uh,
0: he's not an Orthodox
2: rabbi or something. <laughs> um,
0: well, you know, but honestly, though, okay, yeah, some details were wrong, but there definitely was like a rising trajectory in all of this. And, you know, you can see how, yeah, there was this kind of rising workers movement in the core and it was also in the periphery um and you know again had the had the the great fuck up of the early 20th century not happened right. you know the, it, it really could have all worked and had had you know the third international not been criminally mismanaged you know they were More still the ass- yes had, had they not been criminally mismanaged had there not been the big you know had had the German SPD not completely cucked out on World War Two, you know, like there could have been like the, the overall arc of it went quite well, but I mean, the overall arc of it kind of corresponds to his optimistic vision. I think maybe not in the exact yeah. way he anticipated, but you know, history kind of played out uh, in a way that uh, unfortunately squandered that kind of, I'd say overall potentialities.
2: Yeah. Like the one thing I'll say here is it's impossible not to notice that he just says, look, like, there's a good thing he's saying Uh, it follows a communist revolution will not merely be a national phenomenon. Um, you know, because the peoples of the earth are all brought together. On the other hand, he says, especially the civilized peoples. Um, Mm -hmm. and and it has to take place simultaneously in all civilized countries. That is to say, at least England, America, France, Germany, you know, you you know, civilization. Mm -hmm. And, and then towards the end, he says, it's a universal revolution and will accordingly have a universal range. Um, but there's just sort of a, a big absence there, a big lacuna. What about the uncivilized world? How do they yeah. play into the revolution? And, you know, I'm, I am basically a proponent of a version of a technological determinist, historical materialist kind of, you know, worldview or whatever, or a theory of communist revolution so I don't wanna just dismiss this entirely, but I think this statement is why people are suspicious of the technological, like, worldview. Mm. Um is is because it kinda looks like this, and in fact it comes from this this thought here. <laughs> that it's just a civilized countries, but it's gonna affect everyone. Um that's it's uh at once underdeveloped but still like superior to the idea that you know just a, a country that might might have the moral dignity of a communist revolution but does not have capitalist technology is just going to build socialism right here like it's it's complicated
0: yeah i mean and their i think their views on this would evolve over time um Certainly. but so i mean there would it would it would eventually get more nuanced but you know i think i think I'm, what I'm trying to say is, the broad trajectory of it historically had had a point had, was true up to a point, and uh, but yeah, obviously there, there are some details that don't play out in ways that Engels uh, foreseen or probably could have foreseen. All right, uh, twenty. What will the what will be the consequences of the ultimate disappearance of private property? Society will take all forces of production and means of commerce as well as the exchange and distribution of products out of the hands of private capitalists and will manage them in accordance with a plan based on the availability of resources and the needs of the whole society. In this way, most important of all, the evil consequences which are now associated with the conduct of big industry will be abolished. There will be no more crises. The The expanded production, which for the present order of society is overproduction and hence a prevailing cause of misery, will then be insufficient and in need of being expanded much further. Instead of generating misery, overproduction will reach beyond the elementary requirements of society to assure the satisfaction of the needs of all. It will create new needs and, at the same time, the means of satisfying them. It will become the condition of, and the stimulus to, new progress, which will no longer throw the old social order into confusion, as progress has always done in the past. Big industry, freed from the pressure of private property, will undergo such an expansion that what we now see will seem as petty in comparison as manufacture seems when put beside the big industry of our day. This development of industry will make available to society a sufficient mass of products to satisfy the needs of everyone. The same will be true of agriculture, which also suffers from the pressure of private property and is held back by the division of privately owned land into small parcels. Here, existing improvements in scientific procedures will be put into practice, with a resulting leap forward which will assure to society all the products it needs. In this way, such an abundance of goods will be able to satisfy the needs of all its members. The division of society into different, mutually hostile classes will then become unnecessary. Indeed, it will be not only unnecessary, but intolerable in the new social order. The existence of classes originated in the division of labor, and the division of labor, as it has been known up to the present, will completely disappear. For mechanical and chemical processes are not long enough to bring industrial and agricultural production up to the level we have described. The capacities of the men who make use of these processes must undergo a corresponding development. Just as the peasants and manufacturing workers of the last century changed their whole way of life and became quite different people when they were drawn into big industry, in the same way communal control over the production by society as a whole and the resulting new development both will require an entirely different kind of human material. People will no longer be as they are today, subordinated to a single branch of production, bound to it, exploited by it. They will no longer develop one of their faculties at the expense of all others. They will no longer know only one branch, or one branch of a single branch, of production as a whole. Even industry, as it is today, will find such people less and less useful. Industry controlled by society as a whole and operated according to a plan, presupposes well-rounded human beings, their faculties developed in balanced fashion, able to see the system, the system of production in its entirety. The form of the division of labor which makes one peasant, one a peasant, another a cobbler, a third a factory worker, a fourth a stock market operator, has already been undermined by machinery and will completely disappear. Education will enable young people quickly to familiarize themselves with the whole system of production and to pass from one branch of production to another in response to the needs of society or their own inclinations. It will, therefore, free them from the one-sided character which the present-day division of labor impresses upon every individual. Communist society will, in this way, make it possible for its members to put their comprehensively developed faculties to full use, but, when this happens, classes will necessarily disappear. It follows that society organized on a communist basis is incompatible with the existence of classes on the one hand, and that the very building of such a society provides the means of abolishing class differences on the other. A corollary of this is that the difference between city and country is destined to disappear, The management of agriculture and industry by the same people, rather than by two different classes of people, is, if only for purely material reasons, a necessary condition of communist association. The dispersal of the agricultural population on the land, alongside the crowding of the industrial population into the great cities, is a condition which corresponds to an undeveloped state of both agriculture and industry, and can already be felt as an obstacle to further development the general cooperation of all members of society for the purpose of planned production of the forces of production the expansion of production to the point where it will satisfy the needs of all the abolition of a situation in which the needs of some are satisfied at the expense of the needs of others the complete liquidation of classes and their conflicts the well the rounded development of the capacities of all members of society through the elimination of the present division of labor, through industrial education, through engaging in various activities, through the participation by all and the enjoyments produced by all, through the combination of city and country. These are the main consequences of the abolition of private property.
2: Slow clap. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs>
0: Um, I mean, I I think on on some level, it. I think they kind of overestimate how rounded people can really be. (laughs) Um, I think that there is, you know, as industrial society develops, there is an increasing complexity to a certain extent. I could actually, in some ways, see this being, in some respects, more applicable now than before, but in some respects less, um, because I think that. Some fields do actually require a high degree of specialization that don't make it easy to simply just walk from one thing to another. But there are some areas where people could and do absolutely jump from unrelated field to unrelated field.
2: Uh, Jake, you're you're not wrong about specialization, but there is a significant human cost to hyper-specialization and never getting a chance to develop other talents. And... Even for very valuable people, they should be encouraged to, you know, have more of a life and not just be workaholics, like, for one aspect of themselves. Even if they're very good at it, even if it's very important, even if they're a surgeon, you know, it's just, we want, we just want people to be have good lives, and if people want to be very dedicated, that's cool, but, like, I I don't see, I I don't see room for letting people live these, like, kind of austere existences, you know, like, people would hopefully be drawn into a kind of broader, I don't know, a broader, more integrated humanity.
1: That's all kind of bong rip, but I think no, I, I think mean, that's what the show is, though, so... Yeah, but... <laughs> Trotsky, like, talks about how, like, the average man under communism will have the intelligence of Shakespeare or Socrates, so, it sounds a little bit idealist, but, you know, get, give it some time and maybe it'll work out a bit more. We'll have less specialization under communism. I mean, I think it's more about, like, like just sort of, like, being able to manage these things more and having, like, sort of, like, the hard and heavy labor being, like, phased out slowly through increasing yeah. automation. That's
2: the most important thing, is that certain kinds of labor are distributed equitably, either because they're, you know, they're shitty, or because they're, like, really, like, politically important. I'm
0: going to say this, though. I think there are always going to be people who will be driven, if only by their own personal inclinations, into getting really, really good at one thing. Yeah. Sure. So... And I think that there will be some, you know, there will probably be some ways in which, you know, certain technical things can benefit from that, right? Like, you know, there are doctors who just specialize, you know, so I, I feel like comedy society would certainly make it more possible for people to, you know, try a lot of different things. But I think there will still be specialists. Um.
1: Sure. Uh, to use a metaphor, there will be less like sort of just, you know, butcher's knives and more like, you know, uh, Swiss Army. um swiss army knives you know like yeah it's a better knife than it is say like you know the little scissors part or or like the other little knife parts i guess but like you can use it for all those things and it's still nice to have like all those other things to the knife and people will be like that under communism they may be better at like one thing than the rest of the things that they know about But at the same time, you know, they'll still have those things, whereas under, you know, under capitalism, they just have the one function.
2: There are plenty of places in capitalist society these days where hyper specialization is the norm. But you can kind of see like an inverted version of what communist freedom might be like in the precarious proletariat that has like three or four side hustles. You know what I mean? right like, none of which is really the center like that's a nightmare form of this where like you know there there's no center they don't have any grounding sense of security and so it makes them like you know ultimately like a non like party to certain parts of economic citizenship like healthcare you know like wh- right. whereas so the- this would be the sort of inverse of that <laughs>
0: Well, sort of like how, like, the endless, like, suburban sprawl is the nightmare version of the end of the division between town and country.
2: Precisely.
0: Right. Like yeah. that, you know, that, that stereotypical image of, like, the strip of, like, gas stations, Taco Bell, McDonald's, <laughs> CVS, like, that, that Main Street USA with, like, the power lines and everything, like, that is kind of like capitalism's version of the end of town and country. <laughs> That's fucking yeah. awful. Um
2: Yeah. It was and it was honestly planned on an anti-communist basis, like a lot yeah. of like no, like n- not exaggerating. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite essays and notes ever published, is "Its Own Peculiar Decor" by Chris Wright, and it kind of takes off of Angles' elaborations about American property and talks about the formation of suburbia on that basis. Good shit. Um. Anyway. This, this is a huge thing, and I'm sure we didn't talk about everything in
0: it. Yeah. Um, go back and listen to me read it again and, you know, just do that. All right. Uh, 21. What will be the influence of communist society on the family? It will transform the relations between the sexes into a purely private matter, which concerns only the persons involved and into which society has no occasion to intervene. It can do this since it does away with private property and educates children on a communal basis and in this way removes the two bases of traditional marriage, the dependence rooted in private property, of the woman on the man, and of the children on the parents. And here is the answer to the outcry of the highly moral Philistines against the, quote, community of women. Community of women is a condition which belongs entirely to bourgeois society and which today finds its complete expression in prostitution. But prostitution is based upon private property and falls within it, <laughs> thus communist society instead of introducing community of women, in fact abolishes it uh what's it, what's community of women again what's he talking about with that
2: um women like as property, therefore, and being communist about that property, and so therefore uh, you have you know just like rolling like you know fucking like harems basically
0: um, okay so that's... Yeah, I didn't I think he talked about this somewhere else and he was just like, um, like, Oh, you talk about community women. Well, y'all are fucking each other's wives. So how about that? How about that for community women? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's like the cucking Olympics over here. Yeah. Um, I think these are two fire paragraphs and it's sort of, you know, good, uh, ally, feminist man woke angles over here. Um, (laughs) like it's, well, think, well, think about it. Like he, um, I mean, I guess it's weird to think of it as turning it into a purely private matter, which concerns only the persons involved as being a feminist take. But, like, from what he's saying here is that, like, private property is actually the social institution that, like, that, like, uh, creates forms of dependence. And if you eliminate it, you get rid of dependence on women on men and of, like, children on, I'm sorry, parents on children. Um Children and parents. Jesus Christ, I'm high. All right. Um, (laughs) Children and parents. And so um, that's, that's something that's not adequately dealt with in any strand of contemporary feminism. That's something you really only get from Marxists. You don't hear this. And I have sympathy for the, you know, Walter Ben Michaels of the world and even some of the Adolf Reed stuff where they're just saying, look, the most basic social democratic program would provide a universalist, I should say, social democratic program would provide like the, the material basis for a lot of these types of liberation. I mean, they don't come out and say it like that sometimes, but it's true. Like, if you got rid of private property, a lot of basic, like, patriarchal property relations would be smashed. Like,
0: yeah, absolutely. Like why yeah. Like okay. women wouldn't be dependent upon like a like the relationship wouldn't form a significant like life choice in the sense of what their like financial or right. material well-being would be, you know.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
0: Which is part of the reason why like, you know, like red red pill types are so like anti-communist because they feel like well if women aren't dependent on me for money like why would they take any interest in me they would just they would just all seek out chads
1: yeah okay. well i mean even you know their, are speak uh Rouge v wrote a really oddly interesting well twitter thread about how like women in Women who were like in Eastern Europe, Eastern Bloc, in particular Eastern Germany, were relatively happier with their relationships, and there were higher, there were actually higher rates of marriage and marriage stability in Eastern Germany compared to Western Germany. Uh, so it's kind of weird yeah. because they seem to be happier but they still seem to be getting married in like high numbers. Which is, um, so, what, what does this mean? It it means like sort of like social democracy or well, not social demo I I guess like eastern eastern like the stability. The stability that the East East Germany was able to provide for its citizens in terms of like, you know, not not fearing going in poverty and that sort of thing. Allow like women to have like relationships that were like based on like love to a higher degree than it, than in West Germany.
0: Right. It's just do I want to live with this person? Not uh do I want to do I want to live with this person? Um do I want to live with this person slightly more then I want to avoid like finding another place to live. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's.
2: Yeah. Will you hire me to live with you? Like.
0: Well, and there's, there's there. I saw some article recently about how the sort of ridiculous housing market right now is like leading like more women to like stay in bad relationships. Probably men too, you know? Oh, for
2: sure. And children with parents or poor parents with children yeah our siblings or just abusive people in general that have go
1: yeah the, the thing is that you see now more more than even that is like people just being like yeah i can't afford to be in a relationship you know i literally can't afford it like just afford like the time and like care that would be necessary to like maintain a relationship i have a job or whatever that just eats up so much time in my life that I can't have like even just the basics of a social life or like a fair or like some kind of like m- even a miserable relationship with like a woman or a man or whatever.
0: Well, you can always get, you can always just go to a bar every night and just get drunk and have stupid arguments with strangers. You can do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you could just like live in a barrel and yell at people, you know?
2: Well, speaking of um, going to a bar at night and having conversations with strangers, um, he has an interesting uh, couple lines of commentary about sex work, uh, and the essential Marxist feminist line from the heart of the manifesto and this previous draft of the manifesto is so much more progressive than many of the Marxist and, you know, progressive, and to this day, attitudes on sex work. Uh, this is an institution of, pri- of private property. Um, the only way you're going to get rid of that is to get rid of private property. So. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, they just try to argue like prostitutes are like parasitic proletariat that are not producing anything of value I and mean, therefore to be suppressed.
2: It's it's or you know issue an order to have a bunch of them shot. <laughs> like or yeah, I mean, it's it's been a pretty dismal history. Um, and the manifesto is so much better and demonstrates, you know, the universal prostitution in the wage form and how this is just the apex uh, the, the utmost expression of private property. Don't you fucking get it? If you don't like this, abolish private property. Um,
0: yeah. Th- this is why they're the big beards. It's why know? they're oh, the this, big
1: beards. They have moments of clarity in between the misogyny. <laughs> My two dads.
2: Yeah. They sh- they saved a lot of the misogyny for their real lives. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, dude, it's so sad, like reading about the history of his daughters because
2: oh oh man oh it's my so, god it's so oh. clear they
0: like basically just like kind of modeled their relationship on men in terms of what they saw at their parents oh. but the difference is like the men they married were all just like way less talented than mars <laughs> oh, so like it, you yeah. know it's not like you even got some good theory out of it like they just married some like because Marx was kind of a personal fuck up but he was right. he did produce like something <laughs> of value with his life it's the ultimate Whereas, fail son <laughs> Yeah, no, but whereas, whereas the like the men the Marx girls married, just trash, no. I all mean, of them. Uh, yeah. Trash.
2: The thing with Ava Ling and Eleanor Marx really creeps me out. Oh yeah, actually. that's
0: that's some fucked up like Victorian shit.
2: That's some. That's really scary and sad.
0: And yeah. like kind of points
2: to some of the ugly things about leftism, like very close in the in the tradition, like r- immediately. Like what happens to their children you know what i mean like that's kind yeah. of that's kind of a weird thing that i never really thought about before
0: um yeah because his i mean his their daughters you know were hella smart and like they basically raised them like intellectually um yeah. way, way beyond like what you know typical women would be uh taught you know especially at the level of poverty that they existed within yeah really. so um yeah it's fucked up uh but you know I guess, uh. Didn't,
1: like, one of the Marx's husbands, like, wrote, like write to be lazy or something like that at the bear? Yes,
0: yeah. that was Lafargue. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That dude, uh, yeah, fuck all the. Fuck yeah. those scrubs.
1: Committed suicide like a weakling. <laughs> um, wait, wait. That- anyway,
2: yeah, Paul Lafargue and, and, uh, and Laura Marx died by suicide pact. Um, which is, that's who i was thinking of not uh evelyn with uh, eleanor
0: yeah i mean like there was another there was another weird fucking situation with uh the youngest one. Oh no the, wait yeah. this is
2: also terrible never mind yeah fuck them both fuck them both to hell yeah
0: right. okay anyway uh moving on unless you have anything else to say on the family and communism
2: uh yeah oh why do communists have shitty families? It's because we have to overthrow private property. Anyway, um, yeah. moving
0: yeah, on. Yeah, simple enough. Yeah, I think, I think that's clear.
2: Yeah.
0: 22. What will be the attitude of communism to existing nationalities? The nationalities of the people associating themselves in accordance with the principle of community will be compelled to mingle with each other as a result of the association and thereby dissolve themselves, just as the various estate and class distinctions might disappear through the abolition of their basis, private property. So you know, like German workers, you're the peanut butter. French workers, you're the jelly. Let's, let's mix it up. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. This is pretty. This is the first uh, communist theory
0: about uh, nationalism. It's just like, hey guys, chill. Hey man, look at this map. <laughs> look at this. Look at this globe, man. Look at this picture yeah. of the Earth from space. I don't see any borders. Do you? I, I don't see any. I just see a. a a blue
2: dot. Yeah. So, yeah. So, when people say that, like, oh, you know, Marx broke from humanism, you, th- there is, like, a, a very simple kind of naive humanism that you get with a lot of really great intellectuals, actually. Like, especially when they're young. And um, th- there is a form of that that they kind of, like, mature from. Um, but but <laughs> this, this statement, this principle is still basically our compass, you know? Like, so it, it's it's hard to be too glib about... And being,
0: you know, maybe no, I mean, I, I make fun of that kind of hippie shit, but I actually like it. So
2: I agree. Like even like that Stalinist kind of like image of internationalism with all the countries, people holding their flag, holding hands
1: around the world and shit like that.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, and everyone and everyone's jacked. It's great. Yeah.
1: yeah a very a very jacked and stern looking russian guy holding hands with a very jacked and stern looking russian uh chinese guy that's my internationalism well i was I was actually
2: thinking of the ones that you know are a little more like uh new lefty and would include which tr- actually go the other extreme and try to be you know super inclusive like you know which so like, you get in california
0: so like an overweight like pink haired like Steven Universe wearing Oh yeah. like yeah. SJW joining <laughs> hands with like the whatever this version of that is in China.
2: Well they have it's the 90s version of this. So it's a bit, you know, yeah. it's not quite as um
1: a, Yeah, so so like a like a Asian disabled person in a wheelchair yes. holding hands right. with <laughs> with a black guy who's <laughs> celebrating Kwanzaa. <laughs> I mean but some, more but or less how they're
0: both really jacked. Like. Rosa, I mean, Everyone's jacked. Rosa, Sorry.
2: yes, this is exactly right. Jake, I, they're not always jacked because they want to show diversity of body types. So, um.
0: I mean, you could be, you but, could yeah. have diverse body types and still be jacked. Like, that's yeah,
2: that's true. Everyone like, should be like have, you, healthy you, like, expression. Of they not,
0: every, not, not everyone who's got muscle mass is lean. You know what I mean? Like, yeah,
1: there's very there's very muscular bears. Like if you ever notice mm-hmm. with like weight, actual like Olympic weightlifters, yeah, they don't really look like you know bodybuilders. they, no, they don't have. They got they don't like have, some chub, but they're it's training like for power chub. They don't they're look training like for, for what matters. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. All right. I think uh, I think we covered all that. Um,
2: we. He covered his comments on professional
1: wrestling.
0: Um, 23. What will what will be its attitude to existing religions? All religions, so far, have been the expression of historical stages of development of individual peoples or groups of peoples. But communism is the stage of historical development, which makes all existing religions superfluous and brings about their disappearance. Hound.
2: <laughs> there's a... Yeah, there's a... I, this, there's a footnote here that says, uh, uh, "Rest of paragraph smudged by Cheetos dust."
0: Yeah, communism. <laughs> communism will do more to end religion than a thousand YouTube videos yeah. by <laughs> smug white guys.
2: <coughs> this is uh, and this is right. So you know, if you've ever worn a fedora, what you want actually is communism, because
1: then yeah, then would be yeah. More, Communism direction. will actually just be like a long series of videos done by the amazing atheist. <laughs> 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 yeah, he'll just talk everybody. Oh into yeah. my god! And
0: have ha- intersperse well, <laughs> interspersed with the banana interspersed with the banana.
2: No one will. He's got, he's got to read some. Call hopefully, and like get, five like, people you know, will... force femmed or something.
1: Yeah, only only five people will get that reference. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs>
2: Um, so, so like kind of the same thing with the nation's, um, claim that, hey, look, you just knock over private property, boom, life's worth living, no more need for religion, not really taking into account a sort of anthropological universal attachments to, you know, different ways of doing shit and kind of the idea of extended kin ties and that sort of stuff like i think there's a way to reconstruct these feces in much more sophisticated ways um but you know it's worth mentioning
0: right um i also think it is kind of reductive like all religions so far have been the expression of historical stages of development of individual people i mean kind of <laughs> i think it's probably more there's more dimensions to it than that but from a you can read it that way from a historical materialist standpoint
2: well put it this way like economic development didn't determine how many candles are on the menorah mm-hmm. right and there's a bunch of things in religion that's more like the candles on the menorah rather than you know the you know render unto caesar's what is to caesar's you know what i mean like there's some clear things that are like oh okay that's that's political, and that's clearly an ideological thing that's going on underneath here. And has been some yeah. things are just like, you know, then you snip the, t- the tip off, and it's just like they're customary.
0: Yeah. Well, and they, I mean, but they are, again, they are kind of right in, like, the broad view that, you know, kind of increasing material development does tend to bring secularization with it. That I is mean- a fact. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, look at look at the high high degree of like secular stuff. Even again, like uh, you look at the Swedish um, socialist states or that sort of, but you know, social democracy, yeah. whatever fuck you fucking call them. Like, you know, they, like there's a high degree of secularization there. that just kind of happen naturally. Um, and you even see it in the United States. I mean, yeah, there's you know plenty of hotbeds of you know, evangelicalism, and there's the Mormon stronghold, shit. Like, but overall, the still trend is has gone down in terms of uh, in terms of religiosity. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Church attendance. I
1: don't know if I would consider that a good thing though, because it's also a part of like a like a massive death of civil right. well, it's, society. It's, in the again, United it's States. like it's
0: the nightmare version of yes. what they want to see out of socialism, right? It's like the suburbs. It's the you know. It's yeah. It's uh yeah. That's it,
1: it's like how the abolition of the family is coming about through like unintentional. My movement. thoughts exactly. Yeah. You know, we're living in the mirror universe rather than right.
2: Yeah, we have the Mirror Universe version you know, of, the, of all these worst things. Worst possible of all these planks. So when pe- people say that, er oh, the Communist Manifesto has already been implemented, like, there's no real defensible way that you can say that without making those big jumps and, like, misinterpreting these things into their, you yeah. know, Mirror Universe
1: slash Black Mirror versions. Yeah. Yeah, we live in bizarre World Communism. There's central planning in the <laughs> yeah. of Walmart. Um, the family is like, abolished. The Chinese
2: state just put out a Marx um, anime. Maybe the this while like killing its mouse. Yeah, yeah,
1: maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, we're we're yeah. living under communism. And the Marx <laughs> anime is yet. like
0: CG bullshit. Like <coughs> like, like real two D animation. Is that right? This is yeah. It, we're. Oh fucked. my god.
1: I I I haven't watched. I'm saving. It. 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 I haven't wanted to
0: watch it because it's such a lame book. Should we do an episode about this? Absolutely. Put that, all right. But that, we'll, we, we'll try and do that soon, <coughs> I guess. While, while it's still, I mean, maybe we can wait until the season's done and we can maybe just review the whole season.
2: I'm fucking, I'm, raw, I'm all about this. I'm just like, I'm all about it.
0: I think that'd be the way to go. Okay. Anything else? Um,
2: so, yeah, I feel like we kind of nailed it. Um, we have a long section that we'll all recognize in structure. From the manifesto
0: yeah y'all ready y'all ready for some taxonomy let's do it 24. how do communists differ from socialists the so-called socialists are divided into three categories reactionary socialists the first category consists of adherents of a feudal and patriarchal society which has already been destroyed and is still daily being destroyed by big industry and the world trade and their creation bourgeois society this category concludes from the evils of existing society that feudal and patriarchal society must be restored because it was free of such evils. In one way or another all their proposals are directed to this end. This category of reactionary socialists, for all their seeming partisanship and their scalding tears for the misery of the proletariat, is nevertheless energetically opposed by the communists for the following reasons. 1. It strives for something which is entirely impossible. 2. It seeks to establish the rule of the aristocracy, the guild masters, the small producers, and their retinue of absolute or feudal monarchs, officials, soldiers, and priests. A society which was, to be sure, free of the evils of present-day society, but which brought it at least as many evils without even offering to the oppressed workers the, pro- the prospect of liberation through a communist revolution. Three, as soon as the proletariat becomes revolutionary and communist, these reactionary socialists show their true colors by immediately making common cause with the bourgeoisie against the proletarians. Bourgeois socialists. The second category consists of adherents of present day society who have been frightened for its future by the evils to which it necessarily gives rise. What they want, therefore, is to maintain this society while getting rid of the evils which are an inherent part of it. To this end, some propose mere welfare measures, while others come forward with grandiose systems of reform which, under the pretense of reorganizing society, are in fact intended to preserve the foundations and, hence, the life of existing society. Communists must unremittingly struggle against these bourgeois socialists because they work for the enemies of communists and protect the society which communists aim to overthrow. Finally, the third category consists of democratic socialists who favor some of the the same measures the communists advocate, as described in question 18, not as part of the transition to communism, however, but as measures which they believe will be sufficient to abolish the misery and evils of present-day society. These democratic socialists are either proletarians who are not yet sufficiently clear about the conditions of the liberation of their class, or they are representatives of the petty bourgeoisie a class which, prior to the achievement of democracy and socialist measures to which it gives rise, has many interests in common with the proletariat. It follows that, in moments of action, the communists will have to come to an understanding with these democratic socialists, and in general, to follow as far as possible a common policy with them, provided that these socialists do not enter into the service of the ruling bourgeoisie and attack the communists. It is clear that this form of cooperation in action does not exclude the discussion of differences.
2: Mm. So let's start from the top, maybe.
0: Sure. Reactionary socialists. So, I mean, who are the, who are these people in Marxist time? I'm trying to think. Because some of it just sounds like re- straight-up reactionaries. Like...
2: Well, I'm sure there are better versions of this, like more clear versions. But there's a form of this that comes in the revolutionary labor hero, Ferdinand LaSalle, that um, mm. he's more or less trying to appeal to a popular national sentiment where the noble classes that are being swept away by capitalism and the proletariat can rise up in, in a national kind of you know harmonious revolt and that the the, the state you know can fund the workers movement will take it under its wing like um I'm vulgarizing him a little bit. hes It's kind of like Bismarck, but inverted.
1: Yeah, no, he literally reached out to Bismarck, though. Yeah. And tried to reach out to Biz- Bismarck. Yeah. And the junker class and be like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. this capitalism thing, it's not really benefiting you guys. It's not benefiting us as, you know, the proletariat. So let's just come together and... No, we can we can have we can have socialism sort of, but you guys still exist for some reason. But we get higher no, not even higher wages because LaSalle believed in the iron law of wages, <laughs> <laughs> so they would just be fucking cooperatives. Yeah, so funded co-op.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is a OG Red Brown Alliance, I guess, or or at least OG, yeah. OG like you know Justin Murphy. Yeah.
1: Maybe i mean i I feel like the the modern equivalent of this would be more or less like you know like like um Reed Nagel, you know, people who sort of have like a pretense of being Marxist, but also really like Christopher Lash and mm. are just like really oddly nostalgic about like you know social white social democracy essentially. But But is is social conservative
0: the same thing as wanting to restore, like, feudal society?
2: No, I'm (laughs) with with Jake. I I don't think that works.
1: It's, like, the closest thing to it because we don't really have Mm. reactionary socialists in the modern day. So the closest thing would be, like, weirdly socially conservative. Weirdly, like, social Mm. democrats who, like, approach social issues through, like, capitalism got rid of the best parts of the family Things like that. It's just, you know.
0: Uh, I, I, can, I, can, I can kind of see it, but that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really fit within the parameters that, defined I, by Engels here. I I mean, no,
2: I think that's that better fits into bourgeois socialists would actually be more like that current of DSA thought. Whereas the reactionary socialists remind me more of these, like, <sighs> these, like, unconditional accelerationist types that, like, some of which are openly friendly to older forms of hierarchy. Um,
0: It sounds more like neo-reactionary types, honestly. That's what
2: I mean. It's like these, but these very syncretic neo-reactionaries that think of themselves as uh, wanting some kind of, you know, communism, even though they love previous class societies. This isn't just Justin Murphy. There, There are people that, like, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of dumb shit on Twitter.
0: Okay, so yeah, bu- bourgeois socialists. Yeah. Um let's see. I feel like Hmm.
1: Well, let's hmm. see.
2: You know what? It's I'm going to I'm gonna give Rosa some credit about like uh you know, these these bourgeois socialists as it's you know, it's a little less defined like historically maybe we're right, Jake, but like In terms of, like, who we would think of as as the bourgeois socialists today, you could be a better feminist than, like, a lot of the DSA types and be here. There are people that are fans of, like, establishing some kind of reactionary institutions that are, like, I guess, now considered socially regressive that nonetheless have communist views. So I'm going to, like, backpedal a little bit and give give that to Rosa, actually, now that I'm re-looking at the bourgeois socialists. The bourgeois socialists, you know, that could just be like your yeah. Bourgeois uh, socialists stand-up. are just like
1: Elon Musk or like,
0: you know. Well, that's the problem. Like, the, like socialism, it, it, you know, even though it, you know it's becoming kind of hip again in a weird way. Like, I feel like, th- like the. It, Liberal ideology is is too developed. Like you're not gonna get a lot of you're not gonna get a lot of bourgeois socialists, you know. Like they just don't like that. That Starbucks guy is like running for president because one congressperson talked about a increase in the wealth tax. You know what I mean? Like it, like it's so it's so reactionary overall that you're not gonna have a lot of bourgeois people flocking to the socialist banner right now. I don't think. I, I, I don't think I mean,
2: that's. I don't think he means bourgeois in terms of they are personally bourgeois.
0: Right, right, right. I
2: think he means bourgeois in terms of like their
0: overall disposition is the preservation like of idi-
2: capitalism. So AOC but, or Bernie
0: Sanders, like, do you do you think that do you think that Bernie Sanders? I, I, think,
1: I when would, I think of bourgeois socialists, I think of more just more or less just like guys who are rich guys who are really into charity because that's more of the description in the Communist Manifesto. It's like yeah, rich guys who. Are really into charity and believe in UBI, like I, I feel like social democrats would like at this point in time would fall more into like
0: a reactionary mold. Well, mm. I feel like with these with with these types, like I feel like bourgeois socialists would be more like Green Party types or some shit like that. You know, well, I don't know.
2: They want to maintain the society while getting rid of the evils which are an inherent part of it. This sounds a yeah. lot like people that more or less want to like. Reform this—the world we live in. Get rid of climate change, but not really right. change society. You know, get rid of right. wealth inequality and racism and sexism, but not really change society. Like, that's what it's. This is very broad in a way, and it definitely oversect. Excuse me, definitely intersects with the people we were talking about, Rosa, in terms of like the kind of reactionaryish, like DSA people. Um, Speaking of democratic socialists, how do they fit in this?
0: here? I mean, this one seemed like the most salient of the three categories, you know, at least and the most applicable to something we see today uh, in our own circumstances. Um, Okay, yeah, so you're basically talking about like uh, Ebert types or sort of, you know, right wing social Dems is basically this category where they don't want to transition to a higher form of society uh they just want to sort of alleviate like the misery of present day society
2: yeah they want basically dictatorship of the proletariat and that's basically what they want like they have they want this like democratic republic am i getting that? am i getting that right mm, like
1: no they don't want that they they just want they just want some quick fix reforms at most like You know, like UBI or, or, or like, you know, just, just, or like, you know, teaching kids programming in the inner cities to, to stop crime or mine for Bitcoin or some weird.
2: Notice what he says that, um, the third category consists of democratic socialists who favor some of the same measures that communists advocate as described in question 18. Question 18 is his description of wait does he say democratic socialist That's Socialism? under the democratic socialists And so so this is you know what what will be the course of this revolution he's describing in 18 which I think we can equate to the, in, like putting in the minimum program and establishing the dictatorship of the proletariat
1: right Yeah that's like that's the third category Uh-huh yes Yes
2: the the so-called democratic socialists but, and that stuff, you know, that's, like, definitely um, a lot, it's a lot stronger of a position than I would associate with the term democratic socialist,
0: you know? Um. Yeah, you know, you're right. Actually, like, looking at looking at these two, like, together now, like, I think that, yeah, like, there's not, like, you might hear the people, like, on Chapo talking about, like, would probably fit into this category, you know? Um some of them. Like the like yeah, the bourgeois socialists probably would be, yeah, it would be the Bernie Sanders left essentially. Yeah. Then Democratic Socialists would be slightly to the left of that. Yeah.
2: Like they basically want like a workers' government.
1: Norway circa nineteen fifty, maybe, or um Yeah, they want something but right. they don't. They're just right. They do want social, an alternative. They're just social democrats.
0: Well, it's hard. It's hard. Honestly, I, I don't feel like the any of these we can transpose any of these categories exactly because the ideologies have all developed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The game, the game, the game is very different. Like I don't think I don't feel like these aren't exactly like eternal archetypes, at least as they're described here. You know, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, yeah. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of mold, trying molding things to sort of fit into these to jam them into these categories. When I don't know if that's. I don't know if this is like really the most useful exercise, to be honest.
1: I,
2: Well, I mean, the, what are we looking at, then? Just a historical document? I think it's interesting to ask why he chooses these. There's a historical reason, but I think he also is pointing to a certain... Like, some d- different degrees of non-Marxist socialisms, non- non-communist socialisms. You have some, like, this, like, you know, beyond the ultra-right, like, Lasallian, you know, strategy to line up with the aristocratic and Junker and pre-capitalist elements. You have um, socialists for the maintenance of capitalism with a human face. And then you have people that want, essentially, eternal dick brawl. Like, mm. they want, want Marxist yeah. socialism.
1: I mean, um, yeah, I... I would go back a bit and say that, like the 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 reactionary socialists would not be like sort of like Lashian social democrats, but rather like just straightforward fascists. Honestly, right. like that would probably make more sense. Since I think you you're know, right, a good portion of them claim to be like against capitalism, but at the same time they're. You know, this is just because capitalism has gotten rid of like petty bourgeois, and they have some weird agrarian shit going on. Yeah, there's a so there's mildly, like a
2: social. Sorry,
1: it's it's just sort of like mildly confusing of why they oppose like capital, and it's usually just <laughs> you know Jewish capital, specific non productive mm-hmm. capital, the you know that sort of right. thing. It's not really. Capitalism as a whole, but as Jay Sakai would put it, anti-bourgeois. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's and that's sort of a challenging interpretation
2: because it takes seriously the idea that there's a socialist influence on fascism,
1: um, which is you know shitty, but yeah, I mean worth it's a, worth understanding. It's a sort of a weird, specific kind that doesn't really come out of the same kind of anti-capitalism as as Marxism does, or even like the, the right social democracy, et cetera. It, it's not the same kind of like commitment to like socialism. Though but That's we, the thing that makes it distinct from just being horseshoe theory. Sure. It's like, yeah, the right can be quote unquote anti bourgeois, but they can't be really anti-capitalist per se. But you know, we have these like, Four anti-capitalist,
2: I don't know, or anti-bourgeois, or you know, positions. Yeah, I think that is fair. Um, or, or we have these like four different, like I don't know, political positions that socialists could take. Um, you know, including communism, and um I don't know, I guess in that way, I see like a sort of basic political typology that he's making. Um,
0: yeah, but where would tankies fit into this?
2: Um, tankies, I think, ultimately are, for the most part, cheerleaders of pre-capitalist, like, a, so, <laughs> like a, really, like a kind of like not quite capitalist form of accumulation, and are frequently found themselves on the shit side of you know so-called progressive norms that a lot of the bourgeois socialists kind of got just because they wanted to fit in at
1: like their soirees. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it would be some in between combination between like um, like just sort of like reactionary socialism and like the sort of like, you know, dictate uh social Democrats, essentially. Like yeah, so right. I,
0: It doesn't fit mm-hmm. neatly into either, though. It doesn't
1: fit near neatly into either. But like, I feel like East Germany, it would depend on the state. Like East Germany would probably be more like the social Democrat ideal Mm. would be more leaning towards that, but a bit more authoritarian uh, than most social Democrats would like even. Uh, But like the like, you know, sort of like Stalinist high Stalinism, you know, 1930s when they're cracking down on homosexuality Mm -hmm. and they're just just tearing things up in terms of, like, primitive accumulation, but they're just doing it in such a rough way. And, you know, uh, what's the name of the guy that wrote Imperium? I'm forgetting his name. I don't remember. I'm forgetting his name. He describes it as, like, a clear... Uh, he describes like the doctors, how the doctor's plot carries out as like a dejuification of like, you know, mm-hmm. Russia and Russian right. communism. Right. So this would be like the middle ground between like outright reactionary sort of shit and just like just social democracy mm-hmm. as like, yeah. like state driven economy sort of worker state. Yeah, and not that Stalinism
2: was capitalism, but in a kind of post-Stone way, it was building the productive forces that were, in fact, capitalist productive forces. Um, that's what they're for. Yeah. Like. So it's interesting that Venn diagram between the reactionary socialists and the bourgeois socialists actually that that turns out to be a pretty important like subcategory, um, whereas. You know, the development of democratic socialists, so called here, actually is something more radical than, you know, what the DSA is used to.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe we could make this as like a triangular, like three point chart and just yeah. like, place different things between them. Uh, I'm talking okay. With it. Okay. So, <clears throat> last, last one 25. Let's do it. What is the attitude of the communists to the other political parties of our time? This attitude is different in different countries. In England, France, and Belgium, where the bourgeoisie rules, the communists still have a common interest with the various democratic parties, an interest which is all the greater the more closely the socialist, the socialistic measures they champion approach the aims of the communists. That is, the more clearly and definitely they represent the interests of the proletariat, and the more they depend on the proletariat for support. In England, for example, the working-class charterists are infinitely closer to the communists than the democratic petty bourgeoisie or the so-called radicals. In America, where a democratic constitution has already been established, the communists must make common cause with the party which will turn this constitution against the bourgeoisie and use it in the interests of the proletariat, that is, with the agrarian national reformers in switzerland the radicals though a very mixed party are the only group with which the communists can cooperate and among these radicals the Vaudois and the genevese are the most advanced in germany finally the decisive struggle now on the order of the day is between the bourgeoisie and the absolute monarchy since the communists cannot enter upon the decisive struggle between themselves and the bourgeoisie until the bourgeoisie is in power it follows that it is in the interest of the Communists to help the bourgeoisie to power as soon as possible in order the, in order the sooner is able to overthrow it against the governments. therefore, the communists must continually support the radical liberal party, taking care to avoid the self-deceptions of the bourgeoisie and not fall for the enticing promises of benefits which a victory for the bourgeoisie would allegedly bring to the proletariat. The sole advantages which the proletariat would derive from a bourgeois victory would consist one in various concessions, which would facilitate the unification of the proletariat into a closely knit, battle-worthy, and organized class, and two, in the certainty that, on the very day the absolute monarchies fall, the struggle between bourgeoisie and proletariat will start. From that day on, the policy of the communists will be the same as it is now in the countries where the bourgeoisie is already in power.
2: So, um... I just want to start with that last bit because this is pre-1848, really. And so what actually happens is instead, the bourgeoisie, for the first time, there's a revolutionary rupture where they really do side with, you know, the order instead of being like liberal revolutionaries. Like, they end up, like, uh, like a, a significant chunk of them are afraid of the social revolution. So they kind of join the aristocracy against the proletariat. And this is what leads Marx to the assumption of, or to the theory of permanent revolution, where in a somewhat backwards country, there would be a sort of rolling combined bourgeois then socialists, Revolution. That would be the only way that they would actually get the benefits of bourgeois society. Um
1: Wait. I, I anyway. don't think that's that's permanent revolution though. Permanent
2: well, I mean it is. It's in the um it's in his um speech to the first international on yeah. this.
1: Permanent it's revolution is like, like workers leading the peasants. And establishing essentially fulfilling the bourgeois revolution without the bourgeois. That's elegance. the trots.
2: Maybe that's the Trotskyist version, but this is from the March 1850 address of to of the Central Committee to the Communist right. League. Excuse me. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, the yeah. Well, the democratic petty bourgeois wants to bring the revolution to an end as quickly as possible, achieving it most. The aims already mentioned it is our interest and our task to make the revolution permanent until all, uh, excuse me, until all the more or less property classes have been driven from their ruling positions until the proletariat has conquered state power and and until the association of proletarians has progressed sufficiently far.
1: I'm just like trying to like clarify the distinction between that permanent revolution and the permanent revolution meant by Trotsky. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, it's probably best for the listeners. It would Um, probably be more like Lenin's position, like Lenin's position on the Russian Revolution, where it's like sort of a combination between like the peasantry, the proletariat trying to lead it, and the bourgeois, you know, still revolutionary bourgeois elements within Russia.
2: And, And, you know, it's funny that like, they end up saying this stuff about like Germany, you know, not like a ba- so-called backwards country like Russia, which is, you know, yeah. G- Germany, at least their conception, you know, and productive forces were far ahead. And, yeah. and Engels was like, and Marx and Engels were like, oh man, you know, I guess we're these late industrializers. We're, you know, we're backwards.
1: Yeah. Like at most, like Marx talks about like a peasant revolution that might kick off like. Other mm. revolutions across Russia, and like a letter right. responding to the Narodnik's Neuro- criticism of capital. I, I'm i butchering that word, really. Narodnik. Narodnik criticism yeah. of Russian agrarian populist criticism of capital.
2: Yeah. Um, Maybe to page up a little bit, let's talk about. Comments on the United States. Um, again. Maybe a bit. Sanguine about. Where the democratic constitution. Of the United States is going to go. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Um, Angles yeah. it, it, later comments. On like. On like you know. How like essentially like revolution. Wouldn't be possible until like. The point in which like there wasn't enough their land like the expansion of land just sort of stopped
2: yeah yeah
1: it's more like clear and cogent where this is essentially like you know you know the settler agrarian settlers will probably be leading the revolution which is like nah no it's uh it didn't work out that way and similar
2: advice is given in the excuse me is given in the vice it's given in the manifesto. Similar advice is given in the manifesto, um, and yeah, there's definitely a bit of an understanding that only the like European-style absolutist state would need to be smashed, and the more like that that exists on the, the continent, and you know the the democratic republics or the you know constitutional regime in England might be able to sustain something else like a, a peaceful or peace or, or a path that retains the constitution and that you could right. still implement the quite radical smashing of the bourgeois state by dismantling the armed apparatus through the constitution.
1: Right. Like, I mean, still it's have- almost
2: unthinkable for, for us.
1: Yeah, they still have, like, hope in, like, sort of a democratic revolution, which is interesting, given, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, I actually still believe that, uh, I I know this is going to out me as, like, some kind of reformist or whatever, but I believe that a certain amount of, like, revolutionary action can still be taken through, like, electoral politics to a certain degree. But it would have to, in the United States in particular, but it would have to be carried out sort of through a weird emergency thing that would probably just end up causing, you know, more violent revolutionary action anyways. I mean, it, you you basically would have to, like, get in a position where you could just, like, completely, like, like declare martial law, declare a state <laughs> of emergency, and then clear the table to write <laughs> up a new constitution. That's basically and that, what. And that's when they
0: open up the FEMA camps. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, Rose, I mean, I I, I
2: that, think when when you read Engels and you read Kautsky, you know, yes, they're too, they're you know, Kautsky's too loyal to the constitution. Engels is too sanguine about the possibility of using the state. But what they do have a genius kind of concept when, if you tried, if you won like majorities or something if if for some reason like the workers party you know managed to do something and an actual like like an actual minimum program would try to be implemented you would get attacked and you could rightfully launch a revolution in defense now the question is how likely is it that you get that kind of you know majority or whatever now right. that
1: that's that's a real question. Yeah. You would have to do like a whole bunch of things to lay the groundwork in order to be able to respond to like a coup or whatever, or a situation where right. you could coup.
0: I mean, I, I think yeah, I think Rose is onto something. I feel like you would actually have to engage existing political institutions and like our existing electoral processes yes. and stuff like that. But one thing that history has made clear is that you have to very carefully guard the flanks and mm-hmm. have have like a some militant component right. that would be prepared to mm-hmm. defend the revolutionary gains of right. the working it, class it's
1: sort of like uh mm-hmm. it's sort of like chile you know like yeah mm-hmm. you can get elected and you can ins- you can do all these reforms and you can like you know have like your cyber synth but if you're not willing to pr- like defend yourself from like a possible coup then all that shit's going to go away almost immediately once like you get like a military strongman from the United backed by the United States or the capitalists mm-hmm. or whatever.
2: But let's think about what the implementation of a minimum program in Chile would be. That would be replacing, you know, the bourgeois state institutions with institutions of armed workers, you know, like that would be some kind of some something that was competent and strong enough to be a, to resist, you know, foreign intervention, essentially. Like this is no, this is not like an easy thing to accomplish. And I I don't mean to say that it shouldn't be tried or whatever, but it's, it's, you know, it's a very hard thing to do in the context of of one country when Mm -hmm. you're elected, like, okay, we're going to completely reform the military and have like a, you know, Democratic universal conscription or some shit (laughs) on a a Republican basis.
1: I mean, you're probably all, you're probably already going to have, you're probably going to need the militias to exist before you even get into the government and maybe some stuff already within the military. But before then, before right power in order to because you're not. How do you, how do you consensually dismantle the
0: armed forces? Right. It's not gonna be <laughs> easy to do that. <laughs> you you be. you here in the future we'll have like well developed virtual reality. So we'll like sneak into we'll forget them when they're sleeping and then we'll like just make them think they're going about their normal day when really they're <laughs> in our <laughs> matrix. <Yeah. laughs> I like it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean I think it could actually probably and I guess it depends on what people's motivations are for me. I mean, you could repurpose the military to different things, you know? I, I mean, it's really, I, I, the hard part is of course, like the officers. That's really like the, that, you know, they're the well, ones making all the big calls. They're the ones more likely to be yeah, part the of the reaction. The
1: class is generally like reaction, the most reactionary of the military. It's not even I, like I, I, so much as like the re- officers that are like going to be the most problematic of all That I, 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 I... I have to stress that it would be the
2: dismantling of the armed forces as an institution. That Mm -hmm. is what is scientifically speaking, analytically speaking meant by smashing a state is -hmm. to dismantle their armed forces. So that's what a lot of the, you know, the Kautsky like, and Lenin like kind of debate is about. That's what, you know, I don't know. Let's, let's like, it's like, you know, that's like, a big question and when you really chew on how would you you know like wouldn't it wouldn't it make more sense to just try to repurpose it couldn't could you repurpose it you know like i mean there's there's a lot of like questions I, I think, legitimate questions that people have okay. that smashing think, the like, state just, isn't isn't like the first thing that comes to mind and like without yeah, coming from this like coming out this from a marxist the military, perspective
1: the full dismantling of the military will only be possible like after like a global revolution but during it like you can't do it completely because yeah. you're still going to need some of the apparatus especially uh if like the revolution were to somehow kick off in the united states first for whatever reason like you would still need to be able to like operate like nuclear weapons and that sort of thing to like yeah
0: just... so, yeah to those I, mean, you... I, th- I think i think you know Just have a a, issue a declaration to those who in the military standing military who lay down their arms and join their local popular local popular militias instead join the worker militias. um, You will get a voucher for free Mountain Dew, uh, Xbox Live, and NFL season pass for life.
1: All the all the Eminem albums you would want to get, you, just, you can just get them for free.
0: And at you some point, know. yeah, at some point, Eminem will perform at your birthday. We'll, yeah. we'll have some. We'll have two commissars follow him around with guns at all times. It may look like a, appearances.
1: It may look like a Eminem impersonator, but no, it's really Eminem. Uh, it's really really <laughs> Damn it,
2: Rosa. We have to be honest in our dealings with the proletariat. <laughs> We can get Eminem impersonators. <laughs> this whatever Rosa, I am, whatever you say I am. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> so any, any closing thoughts on principles of communism in general? Um, well, I didn't really get to read the
1: whole thing because I just popped in on this episode.
0: Makes but, you know,
1: it makes me want to go back and read the rest of it maybe. I don't know. I, I feel yeah. like a lot of this stuff is already covered in the Communist Manifesto because this is an earlier writing, but you know, it might be interesting to go back and see the differences or just listen to
0: the other podcast.
2: Yeah, it's great. It's a great podcast. Um,
0: I can see. I mean, I definitely see it, it. The end is kind of weak. Like I can the the <laughs> Communist Manifesto sticks the landing a lot better in terms of wrapping it up. This one just kind of ends. You know, it's like, hey. It'll be fine. Yeah, well, it, it's literally just it's literally just the last point. Like, there you could, there, if yeah. you feel like there could have been other points, but it just kind of like that's just where it happens to stop. Yeah,
2: should should we, you know, like make like a best of, of the three drafts and just like chop it up to be, you know, like the 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 uh, the revised principles, you know, Swampside edition. We're
0: not, yeah, we're not doing we're not doing a fan edit of the <laughs> Fest, though. We're not doing a, a
2: remix. We'll Put on yeah, SoundCloud. No.
0: Yeah. All right. I have to mash out. That's, that's, that's what it's called. All right. Yeah. I mean, no, this is, a, you know, there's a lot. This is a good piece. Like I said, I feel like this is a good introduction. It gets a little historical towards the end, but for the most part, kind of the, I, you know, the, broadly speaking, I think this is a more useful introduction to Marxist thinking than you're going to get um, mm-hmm. from the manifesto. Uh, For somebody, I would think, just completely approaching this cold. Um, Part of it is the structure. Um, It's just it's a very and it's more concerned with like clearly defining terms and Mm -hmm. clearly like setting out kind of the broad narrative of historical materialism. And that, you know, I think that's that's a good that's a good starting point for beginning to approach this stuff, I think.
2: It's um, it's flaws because it's so clearly stated. Its flaws are easily correctable. You can be like, look, look at the position that Engels had back then. But then let's you know read what uh, Marx had this like theory of like a uh, labor power instead of selling la- labor, right? Mm-hmm. And the, or you can go to our, oh, they uh, developed a new theory on the state with the Paris Commune. And or you know, historical materialism is revised here. This this kind of attitude towards imperialism is revised here. Like yeah. all the things that are wrong with it are easily correctable and it's good to be open about the development of Marx yeah. and Engels.
1: Right. It's written clearly and you know, it's it's not like copy pasta fucking <laughs> weird shitty academic writing that's just all over the place and trying to impress you with how deep (laughs) it is it's just you know just a nice little program thing that you can you can just calmly read you You know know, you
0: have like an intelligent high schooler read yeah it, it it makes it clear it's a good it makes it it's easy for you to make it clear like Marx and Engels didn't come down from a mountain with these principles (laughs) on stone tablets. You know, it was a part of a a living, developing um, body of thought, you know, body of work. And, you know, it's not perfect, but it's it's a good start.
2: Look, from this moment forward, all Swampside Patreon will be put towards making a Karl Marx reading room. It's basically like a Christian science or Scientology center, except... It's it's communism, and we'll be able to hand out this as a pamphlet, because I mean it's perfect.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, real talk. Out, there, would there, be, there, there would be there would be there would be a good some, version of this. There's like some of, really epic pop culture references thrown in, like, <laughs> like Peter Griffin from Family Guy narrates.
0: Oh, like a, oh
1: that's brilliant. you have got yeah, that to make it <laughs> more epic, relatable to the millennials. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Every half a page is just that image of like Peter Griffin like looking at you, and then he <laughs> re-explains what you just read.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm sipping that dew that you're that you're making, that yeah. Mountain Dew.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, and i will all be read through like for through like a Fortnite Twitch stream. <laughs> <laughs> sipping that Mountain all Dew. Right.
0: All right. I feel like I feel, I feel like I feel like we're I feel like we're circling the drain on this episode. So really, I'm really. Mountain up. Dew.
2: Mountain Dew's not a not the high point of the episode, Jake. Not. All right.
0: that's it for this week. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechats at gmail If you'd like to support the show, you can check out our Patreon like and subscribe to our different uh, social media sites and uh, leave us a good review on iTunes so until next time keep your boots clean your feet out of the swamp and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow